0: listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Last week, we started a new series called, Who's Your One? Who's Your One? And in this is a campaign, if you will. It is a, it is a gimmick. I'll go ahead and just tell you. It's a gimmick. It's a gimmick designed to get you thinking about the call of God on the life of every follower of Jesus. And that is to share the gospel that has been transformational in your life. The gospel of Jesus Christ, Him crucified, risen, and, 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 and paying our our debt for sin and making forgiveness and salvation possible, we've been called and the scripture says that we've been empowered to share that gospel information with those who have not heard so that they too might have the opportunity to by faith trust Jesus as their savior, have their sins forgiven, be brought from death to life, have the opportunity uh, to spend eternity with Christ and represent him in In the meantime, while we wait on his return. So who's your one is a gimmick to try to help you think about something that God's already called you to do. We said last week that sometimes it's hard to see the forest for the trees. Sometimes it's hard for us to see one tree for all of the others that we're consistently encountering and recognizing that God will use us and he'll use us in an exciting way in the life of one at a time. And that we can focus our attention. So the first thing we did last week was just get the the notion that God wants to use you. And through Acts chapter number 10, we saw that God will work out the details for you. God will, he'll work on the heart of the one that he calls you to to focus on and to really pray for. And then ultimately to share the gospel with. He'll work on their heart while he's working on your heart. And then when the time is is right, God will open up an opportunity for you to step in to the life of that one and share the truth that is the gospel. And many of you have got a little stack in there that uh, that folks have already taken. So once you once you know who your one is, this is someone that you think probably has never trusted Jesus as savior. They give no evidence that they're a follower of Jesus and and there's someone that you know needs to hear the gospel. And so what you do is you write their name right here on this portion and then you write their name again right here on this portion you pull that top portion off with just their first name and and by the way i've got my name and i'm ready to put it like you will put it once you know who the name of your person is you write their first name down and then you bring it right here and you drop it in the prayer box there's one on the other side of the room just like that so with their first name you just write it on there drop it in the box if you would like to be on an email list that will get the first names of everybody that we're praying for. Everybody that we're going, God, we want you to save this individual. We want you to give me an opportunity to share the gospel and we want you to prepare their heart so when they hear the gospel that they'll want to receive Jesus as their savior. If you'd like to be able to pray not only for yours, but for all of the rest of them, then you write your email address on that particular card and I'll add you to the list and I'll send you out. Some of you got that list this week of the names that we're praying for. Here's the next thing you do once you've dropped that over into the box once you know your name then what you can do is you can come down here and out of this box you can pick up one of these 30 day prayer journals okay and then we have enough for one for every family all right so a representative of your family can come get one of these and then what you do is for the next 30 days you commit to praying for those individuals and this will give you a scriptural way to think about your praying so that you're asking God to do what he's already said he wants to do, what he's already promised that he would do, and you make it specific to that one that you want to focus on that you believe that God has brought to your mind as somebody in my circle that I encounter and I want to share the gospel with them. Maybe you don't even know their name. Maybe this is somebody that you always see at Publix. If you go shopping and they're working as a cashier, you always go through their line because you just have a good rapport or maybe this is someone that, that you don't know. It's the mailman that you run into because he's dropping your mail off right at the time you're wanting to get it. Maybe you don't even know their name. And this will give you an opportunity to begin praying for them as God opens opportunities for you to share with somebody you know or somebody you don't know. And this will give you just a, 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 a way of going about this. There's no special magic form. This is a gimmick. This is a, this is a strategy, if you will, because gimmick kind of has a negative tone. This is a strategy. It's just a man-made strategy for doing something that God has already called us to do. So I would encourage you, if you didn't get your card, if you didn't want to raise your hand, because you're like, I don't want to raise my hand, say I don't have, then they're right up here. You come grab one of these, grab one of these for your family, and start the journey that quite frankly, We've been on since the day we trusted Jesus as our Savior. We just might not have seen it flesh out as we would like to in the days to come. Now we're going to spend the month of September focusing on who's your one. But this is something we want to do all year long. In fact, We want to 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 let this kind of become so much a part of our DNA that we ought to be able at any time during any year, be able to look at one of our brothers and sisters, especially if we're in partnership uh, as covenant partnerships in the ministry of this church. We ought to be able to look at one another and go, hey, who's your one right now? And we ought to be able to go, well, his name is, mine is Felix lives right across the road from me. I don't know him very well, but here's what I want to know. I want to know if he knows Jesus as a savior. So I wrote down, feel saying, You ought to be able to ask, who's your one right now? Well, right now, I'm focusing in on so and so, uh, but boy, I got somebody in the back of my mind. I'm praying for them to, you see how this kind of just begins to, 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 to build and become a normal. Wh- what would it look like if the followers of Jesus at Oasis Church began to consistently be asking God to allow us to share the gospel with someone who needs to hear the gospel and begin to pray about them. And and that just becomes a normal part of our life. What would that look? That would look like the Great Commission being fulfilled. That would look like going into all the world, making disciples and teaching them all the things that I've commanded. That's what it would look like. So this is a strategy. A positive gimmick to just give us the opportunity to think about what we've been called to do. Today we want to, in that thinking of, okay, I've got my name. Or maybe you haven't, but you're still praying about it. You're still thinking, don't take too long. You now, God's gonna lay somebody on your heart. Don't take too long. Write that name down. And then we're gonna ask God today to help prepare our mind for what's ahead. Because chances are great. This whole idea of focusing in on one and praying for one with the, with the notion that I'm going to share the gospel with them. Not that I'm going to invite them to church, which that's a great thing to do. Invite as many folks as you want to come to church. Not that, that I'm just going to, I'm going to tell them, uh, how excited I am about certain aspects of my Christianity, but I'm going to focus in on them and I'm going to share the gospel with them. We saw last week that God worked out the details in preparing Cornelius to hear the message that Peter was going to share with Cornelius. And at the same time, God was dealing with Peter so that he would be in the right frame of mind to share with Cornelius. Because without God working in Peter, he probably would have never even set foot in this Gentile Roman officials home but God was working in Peter's heart. Peter was being submissive to the move of God and it opened the opportunity for Peter then to be obedient for Cornelius to hear the gospel receive Christ and open up the door to all the rest of us Gentiles hearing the gospel. So today we want to focus on allowing God to work on our mind to prepare our attitudes to get us ready to do what he wants to do through us. In order to do that, we're gonna look at Romans chapter number one from verses 14 down through verse 17. Paul, in writing this letter to the Romans, is writing to a group of folks in the city of Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire, and he's writing to some Christians to tell them how excited he is about being able to get to Rome. I'm trying to get to y'all. I've been trying a couple times, I've been hindered, but by God's favor, I'm going to get to Rome. I can't wait to preach the gospel in Rome. Well, what Paul didn't know is that God was going to let him go to Rome in chains where he would be locked up under house arrest waiting for an opportunity to stand before Peter. But this is before all of those events happen. And Paul says, I'm trying to get to you, Romans. I'm trying to get there. I'm so anxious. And he tells them what's going on in his mind. He's telling them how prepared he is to share the gospel in Rome. Let's read it here. Romans chapter one, verse 14 says, I am under obligation Both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. A prepared mind is what we need if we are going to pursue our one with the goal of sharing the gospel with a prepared mind. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you will speak through your word. We pray that what you say, we will be obedient to. Father, what I say that is of no help whatsoever, may they forget as soon as they hear it. But may you prepare us for that that you've called us to, so that we can be effective and faithful to your purpose for your glory. First, in Jesus' name, we pray. And Everybody said, "Here's what Paul's saying." He's saying a prepared mind looks like this. It it looks like a an attitude or a focus or an understanding regarding my responsibility to the gospel about the urgency that I have to share the gospel and the confidence that I have in the gospel, my responsibility to it, my eagerness or the urgency that I have to share it and the confidence that I have in it. We'll see how he breaks it right down and says what it is that's motivating him to want to get to Rome. He says to begin with, I am under obligation. So the first aspect of a prepared mind is recognizing my responsibility to the gospel is under the framework of Obligation. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. This idea of obligation, I'm obligated to these people for a purpose. It's a word that carries with it the idea of indebtedness. So it would be and, and, and very often this word that, that, is, that is considered this that's used here obligated is actually used for financial. financial. Financial indebtedness. So the notion that I have I have put my name down to this and so now I'm responsible to it. The word also can have like a moral obligation. So like it may not be able to be brought up against you legally if you don't fulfill your obligation, but there is a moral aspect. And here's what Paul is saying, I think. I think he's saying, I recognize that God has entrusted me with his gospel. Jesus Christ encountered Paul on his journey to actually persecute believers and Jesus... Demonstrated himself in Acts chapter number nine to Paul in a very in a very brilliant, very uh, uh very bold way, knocks Paul well, Saul at the time, knocks him off of his of his ride, and there he is on the ground, and he's hearing a voice from the risen Jesus Christ telling him, You need to stop trying to go against me. You're wasting your time, and you're only gonna hurt yourself. And Saul, who we know as Paul, says, well, what am I to do, Lord? And he says, I got plans for you right now. I want you to get up and I want you to go into town and I want you to wait until I send somebody to tell you what's next. And so this one who was arrested by the risen Jesus himself is now saying God has entrusted me with the gospel and God has called me to take this message of Jesus crucified in our place for our sin, risen in defeat of hell, death, and the grave and and has provided forgiveness and salvation to those who will confess him as Lord by trusting him with with their heart and soul. He says, I've been entrusted with the gospel And I am under obligation to God in order to do with what he's called me to do with what he's given me. I'm obligated to God. But I want you to imagine if a rich person was wanting to give some some riches to another and they wanted you to be the middleman. Well, I've got something that I want so-and-so to have, but here's what I want to do. I'm going to give it to you to transport to them. Now, I'm under obligation to the one who has given me the treasure, but I'm also obligated to the one who is destined to receive it. So when Paul says my mind toward the gospel, my mind toward those who need to hear the gospel is solidified under the terms of obligation. I'm obligated to the one who's entrusted me with it and I'm obligated to the ones who are to hear it. I'm duly obligated. I have this. It has transformed me. It has given me life. It has given me liberty. It has given me destiny. But it has given me responsibility. And now I'm obligated to those that are to hear it. Who did Jesus call us to take the gospel to? All the world. Y'all know you still won't say it. All the world, who who are we asking you to think about? One at a time, one. So, Paul goes, I'm I'm, going to tell you why I'm trying to get to y'all Rome, because I am under obligation. Now, don't get me wrong. Paul is not saying that sharing the gospel is a condition of salvation. Don't hear that. Because that's not at all what he's saying. Salvation is by God's grace. Salvation is by Christ's work. Salvation comes to us by faith. This is not I'll save you if you will. No, this is since you have saved me, you have entrusted me with that that has saved me that I might share it with those who have yet to trust what too will save them. I'm under obligation. And then he defines who he's obligated to. And he uses some words that might cause us to think, wow, he's being a little bit divisive here. He says, I'm under obligation to both Greeks and to barbarians. That hits my mind. Like I'm obligated to the city, civilized folks and rednecks. That's not what he's saying. That's not at all what he's saying. This term barbarian really has the notion of those that live outside of the Greco-Roman society. And you go, what in the world is that? Well, I'll tell you in brief what that is. You see, before the Romans were the world empire, the Greeks under Alexander the Great was the world empire. And the Greeks had a culture and that culture was known as Hellenization. So it was an artistic, it was a very refined, very civilized, very uppity, if you will, uh, a social construct by which everywhere Greece went and overthrew, they would bring their society with them so that folks would become literate in uh, the Greek language. Folks would become appreciative of of uh, culture-type uh, uh, artistic fr- Frameworks and, and, and that was called Hellenization. Well, when the Romans, what, 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 what became Rome after Alexander was gone, in fighting between the generals, and then, then Italy, then Rome began to take over the Greek uh, 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 machine, then what Rome did was bring like a militaristic aspect to the Greek culture. They kept some of those things, but they enhanced it with a with a big, strong, Long arm and they it's called the Greco-Roman culture and so what Paul is saying is is I'm obligated to everyone in the known Roman world and, and that included the Palestinian area as well because they were Hellenized at this time the Greek culture was very prominent in that area he says I'm obligated to all the peoples that Rome know exist And I feel an obligation to folks that don't even know what the culture of the Romans are. Like folks that I've never even met before doing life in ways that won't make any sense to me. I'm under obligation to them as well. So basically what Paul is saying is I got to get to you, Rome, because I got a message that's for you. And if I get past you, then I'm going on to Spain and places that I've not been and the Romans haven't conquered. And I'm going to share Jesus with them too, because he wants them to hear as well. He says I'm, I'm uh, obligated to both the Greeks and the barbarians, the, the, the known Hellenized population and those Gentiles that, that we've never even seen and to both the wise and the foolish. A lot of Bible scholars believe that what Paul is doing here is saying, I am obligated to folks who have an understanding of who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is, and and I'll be able to show them how that that God has provided his purpose through the man Jesus from Nazareth as his Messiah. And I'm prepared, not, he says foolish, he's not talking about dumb or ignorant, but, but ignorant in the way that they don't even know who our God is. I'm prepared to tell them. Some of you know uh, the book, uh, Through Gates of Splendor, Jim Elliott and his crew that were taking the gospel to a group of folks in uh, South America, Central South America, that not only had never heard of the God they were coming to share, but had never been in contact with civilized white people either. It cost Jim Elliott, it cost Nate Saint, and the others that were taking the gospel to these Indian tribes it cost them their lives to be obligated to take them the gospel but you know what ultimately happened the gospel took root in that area and many have come to faith because of the willingness and obligation of those who said I don't get them I don't understand them and they're never going to understand who I am but God has given me something that they need to hear listen If we're going to move in the direction of our one, who's your one, by the way, don't say it out loud. Who's your one? What name have you written down? Because God has laid that one on your heart. They need to hear the gospel. Who's your one? What's going to motivate you toward your one on a continual basis is a prepared mind that says, I have an obligation to God for them. I have an obligation to them with what I've got to share. A prepared mind starts with recognizing I have a responsibility to the gospel. But Paul goes on. He says he also recognizes an urgency. What does he say in verse number 15? So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I'm not only obligated, I'm eager. Now let's be honest, okay? Can we be just honest with each other for a minute? There are things in our life that we know we're obligated to, right? you got all kinds of obligations that we're not so eager toward. I'm thinking of that obligation that comes around every year in the month of April. Every year in the month of April, we are keenly aware of an obligation that we have to Uncle Sam... And they expect us to meet that obligation and we grumble and gripe and grit our teeth as we write that check or, or whatever it is we're doing. And we, we know we're obligated. We're just not so eager about it. Amen, Amen Steve. <laughs> Thank you. You know, it can get a li- even a little bit more. You, you go, yeah, but that's nobody's eager about that. At touche. You're right. But there are some other things that we're obligated to. Some, sometimes maybe we find ourselves obligated to events. Like, have you ever felt obligated to go to that reunion of folks? You, mm, Greg says, mm, got one coming up, I see. No. That group of folks that you know because you hear about them, You you get information about them, but you couldn't pick them out of a lineup if you had to. And yet, you know, I'm obligated, and it would be the weekend that my team is playing so-and-so, and and I got to go. I'm not eager about it. You, You know, okay? So here's what can happen, and I think it happens to a lot of Christians. Because the Holy Spirit puts us under, not a guilt trip, no, that's not a guilt trip. An obligation to share the gospel with somebody—that ain't a guilt trip. The Holy Spirit can lay it on your heart, and you know you have a responsibility to the gospel. You're just not so eager about it. You're like, "Oh man, I, I don't know. I'm, I don't. I don't know what I'm going to say, and and really I'm not real good. I'm, I, what I need to—I need to leave that to somebody who can do that better than I can." I, I, I just need. What I need to do is do the praying and let somebody else do the sharing. That's how. That's how we'll do it. We'll split that because they got there. Folks that can do all the sharing. I'll do all the praying. Except God goes there, but that's not what I said. I said I want you. I want you to take. I want you to share because here's the thing. You are going to be able to share with your one. Way better than I'm going to be able to share with your one. Because your one doesn't know me. Your one doesn't have a connection to me. And as soon as you tell them, I want to introduce you to my pastor, their ears are going to start getting fuzzy. They're going to smile and they're going to nod, but they know I'm coming to them trying to sell them something spiritual. But not you. Because you know them. Paul says, I recognize my obligation and I'm eager. You know why I think Paul was eager? Because there was an urgency in the situation. Let me just ask you a question. If you knew right now, let me me back it up, ask it a different way. How many of you don't have kids back here in Kids Connection? Raise your hand If you say, I don't have any kids right now in Kids Connection. Okay. But if the security guy ran in the door right there and shouted, there's a fire back in the kids area. How many of you who don't have kids and you raised your hand, how many of you would feel a sense of urgency to go help the kids that you don't even take home with you? Anybody? You're like, I don't have a kid back there, but I'm going back. Why? Because you recognize an urgency. What's more urgent than the notion of you having the answer and being unwilling to share it you have the cure to the cancer that your one has and there they are in the hospital hearing the information from the doctor that says there is no hope you have no time you are going to perish and yet in your back pocket you have the free cure to what is absolutely going to kill them, and yet you say, "You know, I'm just not really good at talking about these things to people." I really, what? I don't know. Maybe one of these days, I, you would, you would think, "What a disgrace you would be! What a, what a galactic!" Jerk, you are to have the answer and yet withhold it. Again, not a guilt trip, just trying to bring it into focus of things that we know very well and we're able to point very specifically to. Paul goes, I'm eager. I'm trying to get to you. I keep trying to get to you, and things happen that knock me off course. I'm not there yet, but you know what he did do, even though he had not been able to get there in person? Wrote them one of the most uh, amazing letters defending the gospel of Jesus. And sent, the, hey, I can't get to you right yet, but you need to know this and you need to understand this so that you can begin sharing this until I get there. But boy, when I get there, I'm eager. I'm ready to preach the gospel in Rome. A prepared mind recognizes that you are under obligation to the one who saved you with the gospel he's entrusted to you, and you are under obligation to the ones who need to hear it from you. And a prepared mind recognizes that it's urgent. And as important as us getting them out of the flames, the kids' connection is, it's as important that we recognize the dangerous situation that our one is in. Now, when they hear and they have the opportunity to receive or reject, that's between them and the Lord. But right now, You have an obligation to them. I have an obligation to them. Who's your one? Who's your one? Are you are you currently eager to share the gospel with them? Lastly, Paul says, I'm not only obligated, I'm eager. He tells us why he's eager. He explains, he's going to use the word for. And and that word could be used because. I'm, I'm obligated and I'm eager. Because, and he's going to tell us some things. He says, for I am, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm obligated. I'm eager. I'm not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel. This could have been stated, I have complete confidence in the gospel. I am under obligation to God with what he's entrusted me to tell wherever I'm at, regardless of their race, creed, culture, wherever they're at, wherever they're from, however they speak, however they live, I'm under obligation to tell them. And I'm eager to tell them. I can't wait to tell them this truth that I have because I am completely confident in it. Now, as a, uh, having sales past, I spent some time in sales. I enjoyed some of the sales that I've done because I believed in the product. The, the The most recent thing that I sold was office supplies. I liked selling office supplies because everybody needs pencils. And I had some pencils that wrote pretty good. I believed in the product, and it was, I'm confident. They say, you you know what, Kevin, what I really need is some thin stuff that comes in about 20 weight. It's, you know, it's made out of trees, and, and it can be copied on and written on. And I go, I got something for you. It's called paper, and I can get it in bucket loads for you, truck loads. And I, I was eager, and I was ready, and I was confident in the product that I had. There's been some times that I've been asked to sell some stuff to an age group of people, stuff they didn't need. I'm just going to tell you, that was hard for me because I didn't have confidence in the, in the one who was backing me. I didn't have confidence in what he was trying to do, and it was really hard for me to sell it. But when I believed in it, when I knew you needed it and it wasn't something that you didn't need, I just trying to put on you, boy, I could, I could get excited about selling some. I know that sounds weird, but it was, you know, it was something they needed and it was something easy to sell. Paul says, I can't wait to get there to you because I know That the problem you have is addressed completely and fully with what I got. I know that no matter what language you speak, no matter what you do, how you approach life, I know that the same answer that was mine is yours. I'm so confident in this thing. I won't even have to sell it. I just got to present just I just got to show it to you so that you can see what it is. It sells itself. I can't wait to share with you this truth. Because I'm not ashamed of it, I'm completely confident in it. In, in First uh, Corinthians, chapter number one, and you got that one, verse number eighteen. He says it again when he says, "I'm not ashamed of this." Look what he says to the Corinthians: "For the word of the cross is folly, foolishness. The word of the cross that a that a, a, a non." essential Jew. Just some guy from a, from a backwood city called Nazareth was put on a Roman cross and a bunch of people were following him. This notion that what you have has to do with just some dude that got killed by the Romans, he says the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. He says, I'm not ashamed of that. Now, I'm not ashamed to tell you what, sometimes we, like, let me give you an example. Somebody says to you, um, man, my stomach's been hurting. I just got, I don't know what it is. I get up in the morning, my stomach hurts. Uh, doctors can't figure it out. I don't know what's going on. And uh, what do I need to do about this? And, and, and sometimes you go, all right, look, don't you tell nobody I told you this. But here's what my grandma told me. My grandma told me if you go out, there's a root that you dig. It's it's always up under a cow pile, and you move the cow pile out of the way, and you dig up that root, and you squeeze the juice out of it. You mix it with some almond milk, and you put a little paprika and maybe a little bit of black pepper in it. It'll cure that, you know. But you're not putting that like you're not standing up in front of the you know the American Drug Society. Going, I got the next great, cause you're a little bit ashamed of it, right? It's like, look, don't tell them about. But I'll tell you what I, sometimes that's how we approach the gospel. You know why? Because the gospel is so ridiculous to the world. The, the gospel, people in the world, they hear us talking about following some, some backwoods fella that got killed by the, and y'all think that he rose from the dead? How stupid can you be? And we go, yeah, you're right. I don't want to be looked at like that. But if if somebody's looking for the gospel, I tell them, but come over here on this side of the Starbucks because I don't want anybody over there to hear because I don't. What that is, is that saying, yeah, I'm just a little bit ashamed. And and maybe I'm not all that confident in it. I don't know. What Paul is doing is he's standing up, uh, clearing his throat, going, hey, I don't care what none of y'all think. And I'll come to the capital of the Roman Empire. I'll stand on the highest step of the most beautiful building. And maybe Caesar can hear me when I say, Jesus of Nazareth is God's Messiah who came for the single purpose of making a relationship with God possible. Through his death and by his resurrection, you can be forgiven. You can be set free. You can have a a promise of eternity, and you can have a purpose for today. Paul said, I ain't ashamed of the gospel. I've got absolute confidence in it. And he says, he goes on and tells us why I have absolute confidence. Here's this word for again. I have absolute confidence in the gospel because, verse 16, he says, because or for, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God wrapped up in this free gift that he's made available to everyone who believes. It is God's power for you. There's no reason to be ashamed of the gospel. I'm confident in it. Why? Because it's powerful. I'm living proof. Proof. I was stomping out or trying to stomp out the church when the head of the church arrested me with this same powerful message and he has sent me on an entirely different course of life. If it works for me, it'll work for you. It's the power of God to everyone who believes now, don't get tripped up with this word belief by thinking what Paul is saying is to everyone who believes some facts. This is not talking about giving a mental assent to, do you believe this? Yes, I believe that. I'll believe those facts. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is talking about belief as not putting confidence in facts, but placing trust in a person. I move from death to life not by saying words that are said before me that I repeat after them. I don't I don't uh, I don't receive salvation by just assenting to the fact that Jesus died and Jesus rose and I'll believe that. No. I'm saved when I trust the person of Jesus when I place my complete trust in the one who was crucified for me and raised to secure my justification. When I trust the person, then now I'm in a relationship with the person. Oh, I believe all the stuff, but I'm in a relationship with the person by trust makes it a whole lot more understandable why I would follow the person. Because the person is the one who saved me. The person is the one who reached into the pit and pulled me up and set me on solid ground. If I'm trusting the person, I'm willing to go, what do you want from me, Lord? If I'm just trusting facts, I might be distant from the one who has made those things possible. And you know, I may be very dangerously not connected to him. Connected to facts by just a mental agreement and not an actual trust. Paul goes, I'm confident in this this gospel. Why? Because it's the power, the transformational, it is the absolute effective power of God to bring to life any." who placed their trust in the risen Savior. I'm not ashamed. I'm confident. Not only that, in verse number, well, and and he says to the Jew first and also to the Greek, don't get stumbled up by that because Christ presented the gospel to his people first. And then Christ called this gentleman who's writing this letter to say, all right, now I want you to go take it to everybody else to the Jew first? Yes, because Christ was a Jew. Those were God's people. The kingdom was offered. Salvation was presented. And in fact, at this time, Peter and some of the other apostles were still preaching the gospel to the Jews. They got the information first. And now the Greeks, now the Gentiles. To them first, but it's the power for any of them. And I'm not ashamed, verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith For faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, I'm not gonna, I'm I'm not gonna sugarcoat this. What Paul means by the righteousness of God is incredibly difficult to understand. What he means, in fact, I've got several books by that many scholars who know Romans way more than I'll ever know Romans, and they agree it's hard to understand what Paul is meaning when he says that the gospel is where the righteousness of God is revealed. They say, you know what it could be? It could be that Paul is saying God's righteousness is revealed in the gospel. We see a characteristic of God's righteousness in the gospel. But but what does that have to do with with me as well then it could be that paul is saying that god's uh that god's righteousness that you receive And we do know that that is true. Jesus takes our sin on himself in the cross. And then when we, by faith, trust in the person of Jesus in his death and resurrection, we receive the righteousness of Christ that's not our own. We put it on because he has provided for it. And maybe Paul is talking about it's God's righteousness given. Or it could be that Paul is saying that God's righteous activity is seen in the, in the gospel, in the work of the gospel, God's righteousness that comes to us, but God's God's right working where he can make me righteous because he's forgiving my sin that's been paid for. And we see that happening in the gospel, my sin being handled by Christ and God's righteousness being seen. Here's the thing we don't know, but here's what Paul is saying. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. You want to know God? You want to know about how we as sinners can be in right relationship with a holy creator? God is seen in the gospel. It's right there. His righteousness, his righteousness for me, his righteous activity. It's right there. Why be ashamed of this? I'm completely confident in the gospel and then he says it's revealed from faith for faith it's literally from faith into faith the new international version i think communicates this best when it says by faith this righteousness is revealed by faith from first to last it starts in faith. It continues in faith. This righteousness of God that, that comes to my account is entered into by faith and it continues on through faith from first to last. That's what Habakkuk, the prophet, when he cites it right here in verse number 17, as it is written, The righteous will live by faith. Those who are righteous by faith will live by faith. What was Paul saying? My mind is prepared. I'm obligated to the folks there. I'm eager to get to them because there's an urgency that I recognize. I'm not ashamed, I'm confident that what I have to share will do for you what it has done for me, the gospel. So as we think about our one, okay, Lord, this is the one tree that you want me to focus on. I know there's a forest out there, but this is the one tree. And I'm going to write their name down. And I'm going to put it in the box so that the church can be praying with me. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going grab to that, grab that list. And all right, Lord, here's what we're going to do. Day number one. Here's what day number one looks like. John 14:6. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And here's the prayer that is suggested. God, I know there's only one way to salvation. Jesus is clear. He is the only hope for a lost and dying world. And that includes, who's your one? My one is Felix. And that includes Felix. His salvation depends on acknowledging Jesus is who he says he is. And he alone is the source of salvation. God, use people and circumstances in Felix's life today to point him to the reality of Jesus and give me courage. Give me boldness to call Felix to faith in Jesus. When the opportunity arises... And help me to make it clear there's no other way to be saved. Help me to make it clear that there's no other way to be saved. Day one. You know what that'll do? That'll put them in your mind as someone you're obligated to. As someone that you'll be eager to get to. You might even jump the gun on this 30 days. You might need say, day five, and you go, I can't stand it no more. God, you said you was gonna make an opportunity available. If he's home, I'm gonna take it. And it that will give you confidence because you're building your understanding on God's word and you're asking God to prepare you to share that way. And you're becoming more and more unashamed. Make sense? But you got to prepare your mind. And, And and here's what I really think. I really think that probably God is using his word today to go ahead and start preparing your mind. Like he's already telling you what you need to focus on. Is it that notion of obligation? Is it that notion of eagerness? Is it that notion of confidence, not ashamed? And as I have written down just in an in application, I wrote it down and it says, what do you need to ask for today? Well, as it applies to your one, What is it that you need to ask from the Lord? Given what you've heard from his word, what do you need from him? Is it this? Father, I need you to reveal to me the one you have for me. If you've not written that name down, if that's not been something that's happened yet, God, I I want you to reveal one to me. Show me who it is so that I can write their name down. And then God, give me the courage to pray and prepare and share. Maybe in this realm of preparation, what you need to ask for is, Father, I ask that you help me today to see my gospel obligation to you and to my one. God, help me to see that I'm obligated with what you've given me, and I'm obligated to the one that you've given to me to share. Help me to understand it's not just an opportunity, it's an obligation. Maybe what you need to ask today is, Father, I ask you to help me today to have a sense of urgency to share the gospel with my one. Not just to talk to them, not just to find out their name, not just to be a good neighbor to try to encourage them by a a, a good phrase or something to make them smile. No, God, I need you to give me today a sense of urgency to share the gospel with them. May that be what is present. I can't wait to tell you about Jesus crucified for you risen to provide for your forgiveness and inviting you to trust him by faith maybe what you need to ask today is father i ask that you help me today to never be ashamed of the gospel to be absolutely confident in your saving power for all those who will by faith trust Jesus. Especially my one. See, we've all got a we've all got the opportunity laid before us. Where does our mind need preparing? And will you step into what God is moving in your heart today? Maybe, is it possible that maybe you're here and and you're hearing for the very First time, or maybe first time in a while, or maybe it's the hundred thousandth time you've heard that Jesus, Messiah, God the Son, died for you. That he was buried and he was raised victorious, paying for your sin, paying for your forgiveness and that all that is asked of you is to receive by faith the person. And maybe right now where you're at, you're just going, you know what? I need to trust Jesus. I don't think I'm a follower and and I want to be, I, I believe. I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. I don't often do this and I know it's risky but if that's you would that be something that you'd be willing to go you know what I want to trust Jesus right now I want to make it plain and public I believe anybody say that out loud let's bow our heads and close our eyes because maybe in this moment, it's the quietness that you need. If that's you, it's, it's as simple as, God, I, I know I'm a sinner and I know that I don't deserve your love, but I believe Jesus died. I believe he rose again. I believe you did that because I'm a sinner and you love me. And by your grace, you have made salvation available. God, I want to receive, I want to trust Jesus the best I know how. I want to trust him. I want to put my faith in him. Will you save me? Will you forgive me? Because I want it. If that's you, right where you sit, between you and him. I can tell you this, I sure would love to know it so I can pray with you and encourage you. Know that you're my brother. Know that you're my new sister. Let's stand together. Heads bowed, eyes still closed. We can all respond today. I hope we will. Just off to my right, your left. Lovely couple that would love to pray with you down here at the wooden cross. While we pray, you need somebody to pray with you about whatever, about what you've heard today or whatever you're facing right now. They'd love to pray for you, pray with you. As I begin to pray, you can just move down there. They'll be delighted to share in that opportunity. So God, we ask that you will burn in our hearts the things that uh, that you have shown us today. Father, I pray that you will... Um, Give us a, a sense of obligation. Give us a sense of urgency. God, give us a confidence in the gospel. Move us toward our one. Give us the courage to grab a journal, pray for them daily. Or wait on that opportunity that you open up that we can share. Father, I look forward to what you're going to do through the obedient lives in this church. And I pray that we'll see an abundant harvest of folks come to know Christ by just being faithful to your call to share one at a time. For your glory, we look forward to what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of Oasis Church said.